Thank you for choosing to connect with North Collins Wesleyan Church. We are a church of all ages that is passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our congregation enjoys worship, fellowship, discipleship, and community outreach. Our worship services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. found in North Collins, New York. The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Justin Leininger. Again, thank you for joining with us, and we hope you enjoy. The title of something, the nature of something, the name of something, the brand of something, that can be important in the right places for the right things. My family regularly shops at Aldi's, Aldi's grocery store. We like Aldi's a lot, maybe actually a little bit too much at times, maybe to the point where yeah, it's a little bit like a like that's not the greatest thing. For example, my wife Julie is actually a part of an Aldi's Facebook group. That is probably when you know you like Aldi's a little bit too much, right? Where it's just a little bit weird. She is a part of this. And I'm, I'm going to share something with you. I want you to understand this. Everything I'm about to share with you is 100% real. I'm not exaggerating or making up anything with this. This is all completely real. And I actually maybe because people take Aldi's very seriously, I may actually be taking my life in my hands by sharing with you some of this information. So there is an Aldi's Facebook group. The group is actually called the Aldi Nerd Community. That is real. That is 100% real. It has 807,000 plus members. 807, 500,000 plus members. That's how many people are involved in this. They discuss and they share, and I believe I am saying this correctly, they discuss the Aldi finds, the Aldi finds, like the special things that you can wonderly, wonderfully find in Aldi, specifically in the AOS. And if you don't know what the AOS is, AOS stands for the Isle of Shame. It is that aisle in Aldi's that just has like randomness, right? Like all kinds of things. And you walk through there and you're like, I'm not going to buy anything in here except maybe this and some of these, and I'm just going to buy all of these because that's a great deal, right? It is the aisle of shame, and it happens to anyone who goes into Aldi's. And they even have, this is a real thing, this Facebook group, this community even has code talk. I'm not making this up again, 100% real. If you find someone in the store who you see enjoying the aisle of shame, just like you are, the AOS, and you think that could be a member, a partner, you are to say to them, again, not made up, you are to say to them, where's the ranch? And if they tell you where the ranch is, they're not a part of the group. They don't know what's going on. But if they respond, this is the response, where the deer and the antelope play. <laughs> that, that is a real thing. And then you know you found an Aldi partner in this. Yes. Not made up at all. People take this seriously. Aldi finds, those are those random things, right? And you can find some amazing things. They can be amazing. And I'll be honest with you, there are things where I like the Aldi's brand, the Aldi's stuff, and certain things that I've come to like, that is my thing. It being from Aldi's means something. With that said, as much as I'll say that I, I am an Aldi's fan, there are still some things in my life, right, where the brand, the name, it still matters. Certain things that it's like, oh no, I need that one. 
For example, quite a few months back, we ran out of chocolate syrup in our house. Now, chocolate syrup is not something we use every day, every week. It probably should be replaced because chocolate syrup is one of those condiment things. I don't know what actually, what, it's a syrup, maybe not a condiment. I don't know how you classify it, but it's been in the refrigerator probably for more than two years or something, right? Because it's not used all the time. It's at the point where it's like, oh, wait. And some of you are even thinking right now, I need to throw out my chocolate syrup. Yeah, and that's, that's okay. So it was at that place, but we ran out of it. And so we were grocery shopping, and we picked up just any random Aldi chocolate syrup, right? Because that's what you do. And I thought, this is no big deal, right? Wrong. Wrong. I, never have I made a worse mistake in my life. I grew up with Hershey's chocolate syrup, and apparently I've taken that for granted all I can say is this other, this other syrup just, it was everything that chocolate is not supposed to be. I don't know, like everything, it was just off, it was empty, and I realized to myself, I need Hershey's chocolate syrup. I need that. It has to be that brand. Now, I have a few other strong beliefs in this kind of direction. For example, ketchup. It is Heinz or it is nothing. Everything else is tomato paste. Use it to make a lasagna. That's fine. Whatever you want to do, but it is Heinz or it is nothing. In Western New York, we have some of these things, right, that you feel pretty strongly about. Weber's mustard, upstate New York dairy, bison dip, right? Bison dip. You can't, it, it is bison dip or it is nothing. And we even have our preferred kind of hot dogs, right? Yes, and we won't even name them because I'll just mess up the name and you'll get upset with me. Yeah, we have our preferred hot dogs. And there is, of course, for me, the big one, Mountain Dew. I don't want your mellow yellow. I don't want your mountain blast. I don't want your citrus dew explosion or whatever weird name you come up to say fake mountain dew. I want the real thing or I want nothing. At times, the name, the brand, the title of something, it matters, right? It does. It says what it's about. It proves what we believe it to be. In our passage of scripture today, Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30, page 999, 999 in your pew chair Bibles, we find Peter, and he's making a statement about Jesus. Jesus has just asked his disciples a simple question about who they believe he is. And of the disciples, it is Peter who responds. And his response, the title that he gives Jesus, that, that name, that brand that he applies to Jesus it means everything, and it says everything we need to know about Peter, about his heart, about his faith. And as we seek in this sermon series to say, what is it about Peter that makes him the rock? His answer here is incredibly important to that answer. His answer tells us all the things we need to know. And so as we look at Peter's bold response, may our heart be opened to his words and to what he shares with Jesus. This is Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 30. This is what it says. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. In verse 29, Jesus says, but what about you? What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. 
Jesus and his disciples, they are on somewhat of a field trip. They take this trip to the area of Caesarea Philippi, and this is probably an area that they did not expect to visit. They did not expect Jesus to take them. It would have been an interesting journey for them, a bit of, as I said, a bit of a field trip with Jesus. Now, I remember in school loving field trips. Field trip days were some of the very best days. And honestly, there was one reason why field trip days were the best days. It's because field trip days meant no work days. It didn't really matter where you took me to a park, to some museum, to an art museum, to some state capital, to whatever. Take me to a field. It doesn't matter. If there's not work, it's a wonderful day at school, right? That's a wonderful day of school. Now, as tricky as Jesus is, this field trip would actually have a rather important test. But even though it felt like they were on a field trip, I'm sure wonderfully, Peter was up for this test. Knowing the name and location behind where this surprise test and conversation happens adds quite a bit to this experience. So let's look at that first. Caesarea Philippi. What do we know about this place? First off, it was known as a place of pagan worship. This area is not yet a city in in history. And so as scripture says, they are traveling and there are villages around. The worship that they have is mostly for Pan, a Greek god of nature. That makes sense because we know this area to be naturally majestic. For that part of the world, this is one of the most beautiful places that you will find. It features a 70-foot rock wall with a waterfall and large caves. Today, this area is actually a nature reserve. You could consider it kind of like a state or a national park that we would maybe have. And so this is a beautiful area of the world, especially this part of the world. Now, the name has meaning here too, Caesarea Philippi. The ruler of this area is Philip. He is the son of King Herod. He built up this area, and that's why his name is featured in it, Philippi for Philip. Now, Philip actually named this area. He didn't name it after himself. The name he gave it was Caesarea, but there were other Caesareas around that people had named, and so to distinguish it, people called it that, Caesarea Philippi, Philip's Caesarea, basically. Now, Philip having actually named it Caesarea, what is that about. And I know what you're thinking, they must have amazing Caesar salads, right? Like, that's where my brain goes initially, and I'm sorry, my brain goes to food a lot. So I'm thinking, like, they must have great salads there. Surprisingly, it had nothing to do with salads at all. It was named, Philip named it for Caesar, who was specifically, in this case, Augustus Caesar, the emperor who was the son of Julius Caesar. Augustus Caesar was ruler, he was emperor, he was lord, and he was viewed as the son of a god, if not a god himself. And so it is in that pagan setting, that setting with pagan worship, majestic nature, and sons of power, that Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? This is not the true test question yet. This is kind of the warm-up question. The disciples easily reply, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others just one of the other prophets. Meaning, people say you're a prophet, probably someone special for sure, but maybe when you look around, when you look at the scenery, when you think of those big names that we just talked about, maybe not someone that special. But Jesus continues. Here's the true test question. The big one, verse 29, he says, But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Now we can use our imagination 
to truly get the feel of this moment. How this played out, we don't exactly know. From my experience, the way I look at this, this reminds me of a teacher asking a difficult question in a class, right? And they ask that, that question that, that no one wants to try to answer for fear of looking incredibly off, horribly wrong, drawing attention to yourself, and then completely dropping the ball. No one wants that. And so you can see this question hanging in the air. Who do you say I am? There's probably that pause, that silence, that feels like eternity, but probably isn't even really a second or two long, but it just feels like it's forever. In that moment, no one wants to make eye contact with the teacher. No one wants to make eye contact with Jesus. No one wants to get called out. We look off into space. We appear busy. My mood was always to look like thoughtful and perplexed, like, like I'm with you, but I'm not going to make eye contact. and I'm going to look off like I'm thinking, but I'm not thinking that much because if you think too much, the teacher's going to be like, well, what are you thinking? It's like, that's not what I want. So it's like you look perplexed, but mostly dumbfounded at the same time. And you, huh, like you draw off something like that. So you can't be called upon. And I imagine it was just in that awkwardness, in that silence, that surprisingly Peter responds. He breaks the silence. Now we know Peter. We know that Peter wasn't perfect. We know that he didn't get everything right. We know that he had his faults. And, and oftentimes Peter spoke up in moments where like he should have just kept his mouth quiet. And he spoke up when he didn't know what he was talking about. But he just felt like he needed to fill the void. And so he would talk in certain moments. With all that we know about Peter, we recognize, though, that in this moment, Peter hits a grand slam. The scripture tells us Peter answered Jesus, and he said very simply, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. The Messiah, if there was ever value, importance, and relevancy in a name, in a title, in a brand, this is it. This is that moment. Jesus is the Messiah. What does it mean to be called the Messiah? Sometimes the purpose of a name, it changes a bit. We can recognize, I think, pretty easily that this probably happens with Jesus and with the names that we refer to him as, right? We recognize that Jesus in these moments, they happened some 2,000 odd plus years ago. And so over the course of time, something might change and the real meaning behind a name, a title could easily get lost. For example, if you're looking to name a child in your life or maybe even a pet, name research is pretty important. We think about naming a child, you can go online and there are full websites devoted to giving you lists upon lists upon lists of names for you to choose from. What I was surprised this week to find is that there are also websites that, are, that give you list upon list upon list of names to not choose from, that are actually warnings like, hey, before you use this name, let me tell you what it means. I researched this. This is real. For example, here are some names you might want to think about not using. And if this is your name, let me first say I am very, very sorry. I am very sorry to draw this attention upon you. But here we go. The first one is Calvin. I've always liked the name Calvin, right? Calvin, I couldn't see anything wrong with the name Calvin. But Calvin is actually French for bald or, yeah, hairless. That is what Calvin means, which is kind of sad to give to a child, but there it is. We know some Calvins. Maybe that's okay. Mallory, what about that name? That's another name that personally I like. I like the name Mallory. I've known some names for some, I've known some people named Mallory. Mallory is also French for ill-fated, and that's just kind of discouraging, right? Um, That's a rough one to give a kid, ill-fated. Cameron, you'll like this one. 
Cameron's not a bad name, right? Cameron is not a bad name. Cameron is actually Scottish, and it means crooked nose. That is what Cameron means, which is actually pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> there it is. Yep. Uh, there it is. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> and, but... If you're feeling bad about Cameron, let me give you this one, which is better. This will make you feel better about everything. Byron. Now, I don't know if you've known Byron. I've known a few Byrons in my life. Byron is actually Old English, and it means barn of cows. That is what Byron means. That one's kind of awesome in some ways. Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, I'm going to use that. Like, somebody is going to be named Byron. And lastly, let's talk about this name, Jacob. Jacob, yes, Jacob. Now we think to ourselves, oh, Jacob is a Bible name, right? It's got to mean great things. Well, if you think about the story with Jacob and his birth, holding the heel of his brother upon being born, Jacob actually means supplanter. That is what Jacob means. And so as the person who helped hire Jacob, even if it's for a few months, just know that I'm watching my back. I am watching my back in this moment from the supplanter. Names are important. Messiah. When we hear Messiah, as I think of the Christian world and what I know, my mind has its own thoughts, right? Because I look back at Jesus, and so there's all of the things that I know about Jesus, right? All the things that I know about who Jesus is, and so I put the whole story together when I think about Jesus. And so when I look back and I hear the word Messiah, I start thinking about the things that Jesus did, right? I, I think about all those things that I, I assigned to the name Messiah. I think about him going to the cross and dying for my sins, and I, I really, I often think when I hear Messiah, I don't know about you, but I automatically start thinking Savior. I start thinking Savior, and I pull all of these ideas about Jesus' sacrifice into my mind. And Savior has some connection to Messiah, but that isn't its truest meaning. In the book of Matthew, when, when they shared this moment we see Peter clarifying. He actually says, he said, you are the Messiah, and he continues to clarify. He says, the son of the living God. And that brings us closer to the truth of this moment and what it means to be Messiah. The literal translation of Messiah in Hebrew is anointed or anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one, meaning Jesus is special. He is unique. He is above all. He stands up. He is amazing. He is set apart. He is awesome. He is the chosen one. He is God. At this moment in history, Peter doesn't even know what Jesus is going, is, that Jesus is going to give up his life, but what he does know is that Jesus is incredibly special. That Jesus is worthy of all praise and glory. That Jesus is what all of Peter's life is about. Jesus is everything. In a scenery of majestic beauty. In an area designated to worship a false god of nature. In a place named for two sons. Two sons, both considered special. One considered actually a son of God. Peter says to Jesus you are the anointed one. You are the true son of God. You are the one who stands out from this crowd. You are the thing that is majestic. You are the thing to be lifted high. You are what my life is about. Peter says to Jesus, you, it is you who everything that is of value comes from. It is from you that everything that matters is found. Jesus is the Messiah. 
Now, what does that mean to us? Why does this matter to us? It matters because I believe that many of us are living with Jesus as our Savior, but we're not living with Jesus as our Messiah. You may think to yourself, Justin, you're just playing with words, but I would encourage you to think through this and know that I am not. I think this, I think this is meaningful. Many of us are living with Jesus just as our Savior, and I get it, the Christian walk, it starts there. We are saved from our sins. Jesus died for us, and that is incredibly important. It is honestly important beyond words. He is our Savior. We have been saved, and it is wonderful. But here is the key, and I encourage you to lock this away in your heart and mind. Here is the key. Jesus being my Savior is about Jesus dying for me. Jesus being my Messiah is about me living for Jesus. Let me say that again. Jesus being my Savior is about Jesus dying for me. But Jesus being my Messiah is about me living for Jesus. Peter said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are anointed. You are my God. You are what my life is about. What, what made Peter the rock? What made him unique? Jesus was not just his Savior. Jesus was his Messiah. Jesus was his life. Right now, Jesus is turning to you, and I really believe this, and he is simply asking you, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Like Caesarea Philippi, our world is filled with beauty. There are people all around us worshiping one beautiful thing or another, There are false gods that are seeking for control of our lives. What stands out in your life? Who is your anointed one? Who is your Messiah? For many of us, Jesus has been our Savior. For many of us, he has been our Savior for a long time. Our life has been valued by him dying for us. He is your Savior, but is he also your Messiah? Will your life be defined by him? Will your life be not just about him dying for you, but about you living for him? We recognize that our walk with God, I share this in closing, our walk with God, this Christian life, we recognize that this is a process. This is a process of growth, and we we recognize that, right? We recognize that each and every one of us, we, we spend time with God and, and part of our walk as a Christian is to know, grow to know God more, to find out who God is and more about him. Part of our walk is to connect in relationship with Jesus in a deeper way as he comes and he's a part of our life, to connect with him in that deeper way. And part of our walk is to allow the Holy Spirit who comes into our hearts as Christians to, to allow us to be molded and changed and to be made more. Our walk is a process in many ways. And all of that is a process. But we also recognize that along the way in that process, there are moments where we make important decisions. Moments that stand out for us where we make a declaration, where we make a statement, where we make a stand. For many of us, salvation is a moment like that for us. It is a moment when we accept Jesus as our Savior. We ask for forgiveness and we are saved from our sins and Some of us, we were raised in Christian homes to where we may not remember that moment when we became a Christian, right, where we became saved because it's kind of blurry. Um, But others of us have the more defined point 
I'll be honest with you, I sort of remember the moment when I was saved, when I accepted Jesus into my heart, and I can remember that time, it was when I was five, and it's blurry to remember, but I can remember being on bunk beds with my brother, and I believe we were both in the top bunk, and he had the chance to share about Jesus with me, and and I accepted Jesus into my heart for the first time. I can remember another moment that was important to me where I accepted that salvation decision. It was actually at our church, and, and my father was the pastor, and on Sunday evening, they showed it. They would show Christian movies sometimes. Not great, not great. But one of those Christian movies was about the rapture and about what would happen then, and it was scary. And I can remember, like, the movie ending and me waiting and begging for everyone to get out of the church. So when everyone would get out, I can remember going up to my father with tears in my eyes saying, I don't want that to be my story. What can I do? And praying for forgiveness in that. I don't know what your moment is. Hopefully you weren't scared into it like I might have been. I don't know what your moment is, but we can remember those moments where we said to God, Jesus is my Savior. He died for me. Forgive me of my sins. Come and live in my life. That's that moment where we become a Christian and we start that walk. As Wesleyans, we believe there are other important moments as well. We believe in something called sanctification. We recognize that sanctification is a process. It's that process of of God molding and shaping us to the point where we say, God, my life is yours. But in sanctification, we recognize there are also key moments where we, in our lives, we take a stand for God and we say, like Peter did, We say, God, you're not just my Savior, you're my Messiah. My life and everything in it is about you. You are my Messiah. You are my life. I know the first time I made that decision was between my 10th and 11th grade years of high school. It was during the summer and I was at youth camp. I can remember it clearly that moment because I can remember the speaker coming up front and saying, I'm not going to share anything with you. I feel like we just need to sit in silence, and the silence sat, and it was awkward, and it was weird. I probably felt some of the same things the disciples did in that little moment where they had to answer the question, and I can remember sitting there until I can't remember anything but wanting to say to God, everything that is in my life, it is yours. And I'll be honest with you, in that moment between 10th and 11th grade, I didn't completely know what that meant to give God my everything. I didn't know what that would mean to give him my everything in my marriage. I didn't know what that would mean when I would have kids and and I'd have these little people who are so important to my life and I'd have to say, God, these are yours. And God has worked in that process of me continually, of me giving things to him. But I know in that moment, I decided, God, whatever it is about my life, I want it to be yours. This morning in our time together, maybe this is a moment for you to make that statement. To say truthfully to God, God, I don't know what the future holds and I don't know what I'm going to have to give to you tomorrow, but I know about today. Today, God, all that I am, everything that I am, it is yours. You are my Messiah. I'm going to invite our praise team to come and I'm going to invite everybody, if they would, to bow their heads and close their eyes. And If you would like to join me in a prayer to make that statement, I would encourage you in that to allow you to make that statement, to say to God, God above, you are my Messiah. Jesus is my Messiah. My life is yours. If you would like to pray that prayer with me and make that statement, would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, God above, God, I believe in you and in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe in your Holy Spirit working in my life. 
God, I believe that my walk with you, it is a process. I thank you for where you've brought me, and I thank you so much for where we'll go. God, I ask that you would just bless my future steps with you. But God, right now, in who I am, I want you to know that everything is yours. God, my heart is yours. My life is yours. Jesus is my Messiah. God, I don't know what that means for the future. But I say this, wherever you lead me, God, I will go. My life is yours. God, I ask for your blessing on my future and your continued grace and mercy upon my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And if you pray that prayer, sometimes when we make these big moments, it's important to share this with someone. And so if you prayed that prayer and you would like to share that with me, I invite you just to raise your hand and to let us know that that decision was made. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can lower your hands. And I do also encourage you in this. In your bulletin, there is that opportunity sheet. And if at any point in time, might be today, might be sometime in the future, you've made a decision. There are opportunities in the front of that where you can mark that you've prayed to accept Jesus Christ in your heart or you're looking for connection in your walk with God. I encourage you at any point in time, mark those boxes or just write on your, that opportunity sheet what you're looking for and allow us to connect with you. We, your church family, we are here to support you and to love you and to guide you in that walk. If you do not have a study Bible, we would love to provide that for you. It is our, our, we feel it is our responsibility to help you in your walk in whatever that way it is, and to help you in your connection with Jesus Christ, because that is a relationship that I cannot walk for you, but we want to empower you in any way that we can. Know that you are loved. Know that you are valuable. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward, and as they do, we are going to say a word of prayer for our clothing ties and our offerings and a closing to this service. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, God above, God, we thank you for this opportunity to give of our resources, of our life, and our love. God, I thank you for the decisions that have been made for you, and God, I just ask that you would bless each and every person as we step out in our walk with you. God, for many of us here this morning, we are in the midst of a process of you working and changing in our lives. God, for many of us here this morning, We need to make a statement. There's something in our lives that, God, we need to give to you. May we be like Peter. May we stay very clearly in our world that you are our Messiah. Bless us, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close in worship this morning?